You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Midweek Mailbag. We are back. It is week 18. Some would say the last week of the NFL season. Detroit Lions fans don't need to say that, though. We got more football <laughs> to be played after that. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the producer over at PrideofDetroit.com. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, bringing in the new year with us, is the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, is at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt, the machine is here. How are we doing, buddy? Happy New Year. Hey, bud. Happy New Year. Um, I am excited that this is not the last game of the uh of the season so we get to uh we get to keep doing our thing for a few more weeks hopefully another month and uh we'll see how far it can go yeah uh and and it's also kind of nice a little bit at least that while there are some stakes to week 18 we can mostly just kind of relax here because the worst alliance can do is the three seed and also the most likely outcome even if they win is still getting the three seed so you know we get to play around with the week not not stress out about it, knowing that everything is, is still ahead of this team. Yeah, the NFL schedule makers were smart about how they uh, they they scheduled this last week or how they placed the team straight, because sure. for Detroit, you need a, you need X, Y and Z to happen. Right? You need the Eagles to lose. You need the Cowboys to lose and you have to win. So what do they do? They put both the Eagles and the Cowboys games until the afternoon hour makes the game a little bit more meaningful for Detroit. For the Vikings, it's the same thing. They need three teams to lose and uh, to get into the playoffs. And so they put those those games are, are in the afternoon slot as well. And so right. a lot of a lot of the, you know, importance of this game seems minimal at the same time. There's just enough of a hint there to make you want to be excited about uh, getting the win uh, on both sides of the ball. That's right. Um, well, we, this is the midweek mailbag where we answer your Detroit Lions questions. I'm going to preface the entire episode right now. We are not Whoa. talking officiating. We are done. We are turning that page. So wow. you don't need to skip ahead any parts because I know most Lions fans are done talking about it. Um, done listening about it. We're not. I, I, I turned down every single question that we got from that because it's time to move on. It's time to move forward. It's been, what, 72 hours since the game. We're moving forward. But we are going to start with a topic that that might be a little uncomfortable to talk about. And it, it comes from our friend Swag Kazakagi on Twitter asks, can you talk about Jonah Jackson's play lately? Where has he been struggling and what has he been struggling with? Uh, I don't know if I can, like, put a single, like, point on it. Yeah. Um, there's when he's at his best. It's when he's communicating with others very well. It's uh, when they're using him more movement. You're seeing, you haven't seen as much of that, I think, in the last few weeks. He's been more of a stagnant blocker, asked to do what's in front of him. And and that's not really, I think, where he's best suited. He, he's, he's a lot more mobile and a lot better when he's more mobile. And so, you know, overall, I think the line has, has, it's, I mean, look, they're really good. And our standards for the offensive line are very high, right? Yeah. Um, so even the the smallest bit of problems, we, we're starting to nitpick them because we think this is, this is a top one or two offensive line in the NFL. End of list. Like, yeah. they're the top two. And so I don't think he's been playing bad at the same time. If we're expecting elite we're nitpicking him, right? So we're saying, hey, if he does this a little bit better, this a little bit better. Um, I think he's been injured and, and that's maybe been nagging him a little bit too. It just seems like his rhythm is a little bit off. Maybe it's the fact that they're not pulling him as much. Maybe it's the fact that he's had these, these nagging things. It's really not something that's like, oh, it's this and he can fix it. I think it's a combination of things that it's it's really hard to identify. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I think I've been at least a little bit more down on Jonah this year than than you have. Um, I mean, it, it's frustrating though because like when he's on, he is one of the best yeah. run blocking guards in football. Like that's mm-hmm. that's his ceiling. Um, I feel like we haven't seen that Jonah Jackson in a couple months, and and mm-hmm. maybe that is you know he's he battled injury at the beginning of the season, and I know he's not on the injury report anymore, but that doesn't mean he's not suffering from something. That's just how the NFL works. Um, but it's frustrating, and it's. It's got to be frustrating to him, too, because sure. this is such an important stretch for him, uh, for his football future. And yeah, contract year, yeah. Exactly. Um, and I don't know, like, to me, like, I, I think he's losing his one-on-ones more than I expected him to lose his one-on-ones. And, and listen, like, pass blocking has never been his forte. I mean, he's not terrible at it. He's not, I wouldn't even say he's bad at it, I, but he is more, I would say, of an average pass blocker than than a good one. And that's maybe what's gotten exposed a little bit as of late. But I mean, Dan Campbell said it now a couple times this week, like there was way too many plays against the Cowboys this week where the running back was getting hit in the backfield. And mm-hmm. I think part of it was, and, and Campbell said this too, is that's a really, really fast defense. And that's not something yeah. they've gone up against a lot this year. And RJ Cho warned us about this, but actually in a way that seemed like it favored the Lions, right? If if this Lions team wants to be one that that can bully a team, going yeah. up against a smaller but faster defensive line seemed like maybe that would favor Detroit. But instead, mm. some of those things seem to ca- catch them off guards with the slow developing plays and um, the the immediate penetration from a much faster defense. And so, in I mean, Jonah was having issues. Graham was having issues. Decker was having issues at times. Um, I I I think you can look at that game though and be like, you know what, maybe that's a good experience. Maybe that's something that the Lions needed to see because listen, like there's there's all different sorts of defenses you're gonna face. I would say the 49ers are a pretty fast defense that you're gonna have to deal with if you get that far in the playoffs. You you're probably you if if you make it as far as you want to, you're probably gonna go after go have to going to have to go through Dallas again. So now you have that in your back pocket, you know what that speed is going to look like in, in the game, but um Needless to say, though, Jonah needs to start playing better in a hurry here. Yeah, I, I'm with you in on a lot of points, and I did, you know, I disagree with a couple of I. I think you're a little bit harder on Jonah than I am, like you said. Sure. Um, and and I I get that point of view. Uh, I agree, though. This is this is a good learning experience. I did expect them to bully the uh, offensive line a little bit more. Uh, I was expecting more of a game plan. If you've read any, if you read any of my pregame articles, um, it was all focused around being bullies up front and establishing the run game. And they had a real hard, real hard time doing that. And I think that impacted what they wanted to do. And it was, it was a change. Right. Yeah. And I, so, like you said, hopefully just a learning experience overall and something that they can take, uh, you know, with them moving forward. Well, let's stick with the offensive line here and and maybe jump a little bit further into the future here because Nate Savage has an interesting question about the future of the offensive line, which I think is a kind of fascinating topic. Um, says, what does the future of the offensive line look like? Graham is 31 and a free agent. Sewell is going to take up a large amount of the cap soon. Frank is a stud, but a bunch of injuries. Jonah is a free agent and Decker isn't getting any younger. Might an offensive mm-hmm. line rebuild be coming? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a fascinating question because I feel like Obviously, we don't know where the Jonah Jackson thing is going. They couldn't get a deal done before, the, you know, his his co- contract year started. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, there were conversations, but it didn't really seem like it ever got super close to getting done. Um, yeah, I, I, does Colby Soros still fit into this conversation? At, at what point are you drafting an offensive tackle of the future? At what point are you drafting anyone? Um, it, wh- where do you see it going? I know you were like a big proponent of drafting one last year and drafting one this year. We don't really know where Sorsdal is in in his development, other than the fact is they don't want to start him right now. Yeah, I, I think the offensive line is such a integral part of what they want to do that you yeah. have to continue to add to it. You have to go into this draft and add somebody who is talented enough to start. Um, maybe they don't need to because of the moves you make in the offseason. Um Graham is not a long-term solution, which is why they started drafting, why they drafted Colby. Uh, but Graham can be a good solution for another year or two or more, right? Like he, yeah. he's 
31 isn't the end of the world for NFL players anymore. And uh, I mean, Graham's arguably having his best year as a professional. So I do think Graham will be one of their top priorities to re-sign. And it is a bit of an unknown with Jonah. I think price is going to come down to it. Injury history is going to come down to it. Both those things are going to work together. With Ragnow, yes, there's an injury history, uh, but he also plays through it like like a crazy man. Um, but that is also why getting a guy like Rat, uh, Glasgow back is, is critical because you you want to have a backup for that. And I think over the next couple of years, if your plan is to keep Glasgow, um, you have that luxury of not having to force anything, right? Yeah. Could you draft an interior guy that can play guard and center? Sure, certainly. But it's not going to be as much of a priority. I do think having a guy who can play tackle is going to be more of a priority. Uh, we talk often about how there's certain positions where you need to have three capable starters outside corner, offensive tackle. Those are and an yeah. edge. Those are like the three big areas where you need to have three guys that can play because the position is so critical. And right now they don't have three starting corners and they don't have three starting tackles. They have two uh, and, and, you know, maybe one on a <laughs> corner, but, um, but you have to, I think those are going to be your priorities going yeah. into the offseason. They're going to need a capable offensive lineman. They're going to need a corner and they're going to need uh, an edge rusher. And those are the, those are three areas uh, that you need depth. So yes, you're going to need to replace Decker eventually, maybe a couple of years down the road. Yes. You're going to need to re- replace Graham. That could be a couple of years down the road. If you can get him signed, Jonah's is the big question mark. Um, and that, but you're, I, I'm not worried about Frank. I'm not worried about Sewell. I'm not worried about Sewell's contract. They're going to give him a fifth year option. It. It's going to be whatever well, like, it is. It's going to be worth yeah. it. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, I think they can, they can sign him to a fifth year option yeah. in like a, in like a week. Yeah. They can just, they can just be like, yep, we're picking it up. Yeah. And it's going to be like crazy money, like 18 plus, right? Yeah. Like it's something like that is what this projected at. So it's going to be a huge number, but it's not going to matter because that's yeah. you're going to pay him in islands and that's fine. Yeah. Um, so I'm not overly worried about the immediacy of the offensive line. I think you have time to make adjustments. I think you have time to add more depth. Yeah. And if you look at these successful offensive lines that have been successful for year after year after year, it's not necessarily because they've just had the guys they've drafted and developed and it takes years to develop offensive linemen properly. And so I expect that to continue. I, I would not be surprised if there's a top 100 pick on an offensive lineman. It would not surprise me if they drafted one in the first round, because if you find a guy that fits the system that can do what you want, you need capable players beyond your starting five. You see that every year and uh, you're going to need it going in the future anyways. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I think that the the chess piece really that that all the dominoes fall afterwards is Jonah. We we don't really know where things stand there, and and if they yep. resign him, then suddenly offensive lineman isn't that big of a need this year in terms of spending a day one pick on him. I think I think day two is kind of like where I would expect it to happen this year, particularly with offensive tackle because of everything you just said. They need a third one, and if you have a if you have a guy who can just be your swing tackle this year and potentially be you're starting left or right tackle in the post Taylor Decker era. That's like the ideal situation for me is a guy that you get in there for, for some, you know, jumbo sets in his rookie year. Maybe he has to play a little bit due to injury replacement next year. And then eventually he, he replaces Decker because I mean, listen, I, I think Decker is still playing at a pretty high level. I think, I think Lions fans are starting to sour on him again, which is, I don't know. I, I think I think for some reason, Lions fans can only like Taylor Decker for a certain amount of period before they start souring on him again. And it, I don't, it's kind of inexplicable to me, but um, it, it will be interesting to see if when that transition happens, whether Sewell moves to left tackle or stays at right tackle. At this point, I almost feel like he's played right tackle long enough where why would you move anything from that? And as we've mm-hmm. been saying for years now, that the difference between left tackle and right tackle is so little 
Um, especially when most teams like, I mean, Micah Parsons is mostly playing opposite the right tackle these days. So, so, so is Rashawn Gary. So right. is uh, Daniel Hunter, like all of in the NFC North, the top yeah. edge rushers are against the right tackle. Right. So I don't, I don't see necessarily the benefit to moving him in left. Okay. I understand it's the blind side of your quarterback and you don't want to get hit from the blind side and all that sort of stuff, but the best edge rushers in the league are, are now sometimes lining up over the right tackle. So I'm not sure I would move that, but we know he's capable at either end as well, but um, let's move forward with that. There'll be plenty of time to talk about the future of this team and offensive line stuff. Um, we got about a million questions about a topic that we've already touched on a little bit, but since we are now closer to decision time here, let's start. Let's move to Caitlin Rose's question, which says, was he JGJ and others potentially coming back from injury? How much do you see Dan Campbell using them in the Vikings games to get them ready for the upcoming playoff games, specifically with Garner Johnson's return? How will this affect Iffy's and Kirby's usage? So let's start with just like a quick injury up, update. Dan Kill has said a couple times this week now he expects pretty much CJ Gardner Johnson and Ali McNeil to play this week. We don't know if that means start. We don't know if that means play all three quarter, all four quarters, half, whatever it is. Um, they're gonna play. Um, not so much with James Houston. It seems like it seems like he's still maybe a week away, which makes sense. He's only had one practice under his belt. Um, but yeah, let's talk, let's talk about CJ Gardner returning and what it means for everyone else in that secondary. Because to me, I don't have a good answer. The, the only answer yeah. I have is when I kind of approached the topic with Dan Campbell last week. He's like, a lot of people seem to be thinking it's going to be either CJ Gardner Johnson out there or Fatou Melifanu. And he's like, you shouldn't be thinking about that. I don't know why people are thinking <laughs> like that. And so, I mean, the insinuation there is pretty clear. Like he wants both those guys out there at the same time. So how do we do that? Well, you do it by maybe sacrificing a little bit from everybody, right? Yeah. Um, if you want to get Gardner Johnson out on the field, there may be some snaps you take away from Iffy, some snaps you take away from Kirby, some snaps you take away from Branch, and some snaps you take away from the linebackers. And so if you just take a little bit from everybody, you can give you know Gardner Johnson a, a bigger chunk of the pie, right? And so it's possible that that's the route they go. It's also possible that they just start living more in dime um, because they want to get their best complement of guys out there. The hard part with that concept is that when you look at how they, the most likely scenario is that it would come at the expense of a, of a linebacker, right. right? But when you look at how they use their linebackers last week, Anzalone didn't leave the field. Derek Barnes played 71% of snaps and Campbell played 62% right. of snaps. Even Reeves Mabin, who you could just say, well, just give Reeves Mabins. That was, that was 18% of snaps, right? So they leaned on their, they've been leaning on their linebackers a lot. Now, if you keep wanting to, what they did in against Dallas was they leaned on their linebackers and they went lighter on their defensive tackles. I think some of that was because they were missing the lean. But if you get a lean back now, maybe do you still have that concept? Are you still going to want to stay bigger? There's a lot of options in which they can go. So it may not be as clean as a, you know, these are our starting 11. It may be like, these are our starting 14. And right. we're, because they're all, all these 14 guys are going to get over 50% of the snaps. And so, it just gives them so much more creativity. Yeah. Um, Unpredictability. Iffy, Branch, and CJ are all position flexible. Yeah. And so that allows you to play a lot of matchup. It allows you to drop a couple of them into the box. It allows you to blitz them, which Aaron Glenn's been doing a lot more. So there's not a clean answer to this, like a one for one. Yeah. And I think that's what Dan Campbell was alluding to when he, when he was answering your question yeah. was that it doesn't just one, the addition of one doesn't mean the subtraction of one. It could mean the subtraction of a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's going to be up in the air and uh, that's, you know, that's purposeful. They want to yeah. be mysterious. The thing that I think we have to keep in mind is that this team is still going to want to defend the run first. That is still going to be this yes. defense's main priority. And so they are going to be, I think, hesitant to take a linebacker off the field because those guys are so good. But at the same time, all these guys that we're talking about, Branch, CJ Gardner-Johnson, Iffy, all those guys are also pretty darn good against the run as well. Um, right. And so, and so it it complicates things where you're right. Like it just it. 
all you have an embarrassment of riches at a position, whether you want to call it linebacker or, or, or strong safety or whatever, to like these guys that, that can plug the middle of the field that can defend against tight ends and, and, and slot receivers. Um, you, you have so many guys that can do it and you, you, you can also do this like matchup based, right? Like if, if you think one of these certainly, guys is better certainly. against a tight, like a, a tight end that they like. So like this, this upcoming week, right? Vikings don't have a good tight end right now, a good healthy tight end. So maybe you put the guy out there that you like best against Addison, right? A guy who who will play in the slot a lot. Or you play a guy, a, a safety that you think is going to be a good bracket for Justin Jefferson. You, you can just be much more personnel and matchup based right. with all these sort of parts. Because while they're all kind of good at the same things, I think you can say, well, like if he's height if he's lengths is going to be good against this particular player this week. It's, it's, it's something that fans are going to have to get comfortable with as well, because when you add depth and you create more matchup adjustments, like you want to add depth in the secondary to be more matchup based, well, you're going to have to counter that with going with fewer bodies up front. And if you have fewer bodies up front, then you're going, those roles shift, right? Yeah. Now, instead of having Hutchinson being like a pass rusher in a four-man front, if you're putting him in like a three-man front, now he's uh, holding bodies and taking double teams and opening up room for linebackers. And so if Gardner Johnson comes back and they play more matchup base and you're seeing a lot more diamond than Hutchinson isn't getting sacks, I don't want to hear the, oh, Hutchinson can't do anything anymore. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because that's the narrative that's going to right. come out of something like that, Right. And so, but that's the way that they want this defense to operate. This isn't a line four guys up, two linebackers, and just run at people. They want to be matchup based. They want to be yeah. flexible. They want to, to to try and be able to confuse you, because right now there's weaknesses in this team. There's they the coverage issues are in the secondary are are real. Yep. And the way you can cover those up is with disguise, is with pressure and creativity. And so if you don't have the talent, you better have the scheme and the game plan and adding more guys like, like Aleem and, and CJ and, and Houston eventually that gives them that flexibility to disguise some of their issues. And, and one of their other issues that hasn't come up in recent weeks too much because of the teams they've played is mobile quarterbacks. And I feel like getting CJ Gardner Johnson back along with all these other guys that can plug the middle of the field. Well then suddenly, yeah, taking a linebacker off the field for someone who's a little bit more athletic seems like a pretty smart thing to do. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that issue is necessarily going to be fixed, but if you have to go play the Eagles at some point, um, you know, if, if, if somehow the lines get matched up against Seattle at some point, Maybe you're a little bit better suited to to defend against that. Um, if you have to play yeah. Lamar Jackson in the Super Bowl, if we want to go that far. Down well, look at I mean, look at when they played Lamar. They played yeah. Lamar. They had Anzalone essentially shadowing him. Right now, you don't have you know four six uh, Anzalone. You have four three uh, Iffy right. or, or or Chauncey. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have you can match up more athletically now against mobile quarterbacks with the emergence of iffy and the return of CJ. The the last thing before we get to go, because a lot of people have asked this question and, and I understand the tendency to want this to happen is okay. We have all these good safeties, nickel corners. Can we help out the outside corners at all? Can any of these guys kick outside because the lions can't seem to figure out what's going on there. Cameron Sutton is struggling. He's got a foot injury he's dealing with as well, which may have contributed to why he struggled so much against the Cowboys. The Lions can't even seem to figure out who their cornerback two is, whether it's Khalil Dorsey or or does Jerry Jacobs come back in or obviously Vildor. They, they, they tried Vildor last week. Mm. Can, is there any scenario where you see one of these guys kicking out at least situationally? Uh, no. Yeah. No, they're they're not they're not schemed they're not built like that. They're all built more for in to be like inside guys. Uh, so if the if you want them to help the outside corners out, you actually run more dime and you bring more slot help in the middle, and then you will, it basically squeezes the zone that the outside guys have to cover, makes it um, a lot more. You know, it makes it a lot easier for the outside guys to have a, a smaller area that they need to defend. 
by having you know both like Gardner Johnson and Branch in the slot potentially, or if you slide if you down. So I don't think there's there's it, this is an out. You, you're not going to help your outside guys. I think yeah. Cam is who he is, and then opposite they're going to play matchup. Last week, they were really, really focused on defending the run against the Cowboys. Vildor is a better run defender. Vildor got the start. The week before, they wanted to play matchup speed against the Vikings. So that's why Dorsey got the start, right? So they're, in my opinion, they're going to play, continue to play matchup-based with that CB2. And the only way you help them is by adding more talent, more speed, more rangy guys uh, in, in the slots. Fair enough. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, more of your Lions questions, including talking some James Houston and talk, including talking about who is the team's MVP right now, which I think is a very fascinating question to ask and answer. And we'll get to all that and plus much, much more when we come back here on the week 18 edition of Midweek Mailman. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back here on the Midweek Mailbag Podcast, answering all of your questions here as we head into the final week of the regular season. Uh, I teased it at the end of the last segment. Let's jump right back into it. Uh, Ed Helinski at Mr. Ed 315 on Twitter asks, who's deserving of the team MVP? Feel free to list several lines. I think this is kind of a fascinating question because I think most of the time you kind of default to the quarterback and Jared Goff has been sure. good this year. I sure. don't know if he's the team MVP or not. So I'll, I'll let you answer first. Who do you think is this team's MVP? Boy, I think you could go so many different ways. I do. Too. Right. Um, I, I have one that I, I feel pretty confident about as my answer, but I'm curious to, to see what you have to say. It, I mean, if you're looking from a pure statistical measurement, um, the, the year that Amon Ra has had has been sensational. Mm-hmm. 120 plus catches, 1200 yards, right? Or not, not is, is, is it not 120? It's like 112. Sorry. Yeah. But like he has a chance what, to get seven 100 yard games or so. Yeah. Eight. Eight. eight is it eight now? It's crazy. Um, yeah. You could, you could make an argument for Amon Ra. Like, so if this was like a MVP, you know, standard MVP where everyone votes based on stats, I think Amon Ra, what Amon Ra has done certainly makes it him uh, a justifiable candidate. I agree with you. You could put it on Jared Goff and say, man, he's his ability to the thread needles and, and, uh, and win games has been sensational. Sam Laporta set every rookie record that you can think of at tight end. And so like, you know, but again, was he worthy enough to be the MVP? Jameer Gibbs has been sensational, but you know, I, I don't know. For me, I always default to MVP. I know it's most valuable player for like, it, I know there's different definitions for MVP. Let me put sure. it this way. And I, and I know that when we talk about MVP on our staff, our staff even looks at it differently. Yeah. And the way I look at it is MVP is who's your best player? Like, who is the guy who is the best player on your team? Just, and just for say me, it already. Just say it already. Because I agree with you 100%. It, I know who's it's coming. Panay Sewell. It's, it's Panay Panay Sewell. Sewell. Yes. Yeah. And like he, he, he has stepped up into a leadership role. Yep. He's the guy who's leading the entire team. Yep. He is the number one graded and uh, offensive tackle by PFF in the NFL. He is 
everything that you thought he was going to develop into, he is developing into in front of our eyes. So throw the statistics out on this, on this uh, type of, um, you know, award and just give it to your best player. And that's Panay. Panay's best player on his team, hands down. Panay Sewell, to me, already deserves in the pantheon, I I think I got that word wrong, but uh, of Calvin Johnson and, and almost Barry Sanders. Like that's the kind of generational talent this guy is already in his yes. third year. Um, and, and what, what does Dan Campbell and really everyone on the team always say is the engine under the hood. It's the offensive line. It's what makes this team go. It's what makes them the, uh, a top five offense. It's what makes them a top five running offense makes them. I mean, he handled Michael, Micah Parsons for the majority of that football game when, when he was lined up opposite Micah Parsons, which is yeah. an impossible ask. Mm-hmm. He is that good of a football player, and he's so essential to what they do. I think he qualifies for whatever definition you want to put for MVP player. He's he's he is the best player on the Lions. He is the most valuable player because he is so essential to what they do. And to me, it's not, it, it's honestly not that close. I I think he's the best player by far. I, I agree with you. When he was drafted, I said he is a generational talent. Yeah. And and uh, I don't I don't think I've used generational talent uh, really on any prospect, um, and and since I can remember, right? But Panay is was generational. He should yep. have been. If it wasn't a quarterback heavy class that year, if if they didn't have these elite receivers, he should have gone in the top three. You know what I mean? Like he was he was that talented of a player. He was the number one player on my board that year for the Lions. Um, because this is a guy who is going to anchor your entire franchise for a decade plus, probably a decade and a half. And it, he's everything you, you're going to want. And he's it's they're going to pay, like I said earlier in the fir- first half, they're going to pay him in islands and he's going to be worth it because yep. uh, he, he's you're not going to find a better player at one of the most top three, you know, critical positions on, uh, on any roster in the NFL. Uh, it is a luxury that Lions fans get to enjoy for a long time. And, uh, and our live audience is, is rightfully screaming at us. Frank Ragnow d- deserves to be part of the discussion and they're absolutely not wrong. Um, no, and, number second best player on this team. Right, right. And, and, and obvi- I mean, center is a criminally underrated position by, yep. I think, most analysts, because I think I would argue it's, I don't know, maybe like third or fourth most position, most valuable position on offense. Um, and 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 when he wasn't in the lineup, the offensive line certainly struggled to a degree. So um, he well, deserves look, to be you, in the conversation as well. You see this in college now. Yeah. That like, and a, that, that, we certainly well, saw how important Alabama's center was last night. <laughs> what do you, uh, but that, that's not where I was going with that. Oh, okay, but thank sorry. You. Um, but no, but you, 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 you will see players in the NFL or co- I'm sorry, players in college where, uh, where college coaches will take a guy who was playing left tackle for them for years and then shift them into center. Cause they're like, this is the most yeah. important position on the offensive line right now. And, and, as we've talked about earlier, the whole left tackle, right tackle thing is becoming more even. Yeah. And but that center position is always going to be the, the one of the more pivotal pivotal on the roster. We we are struggling with pronunciation in the pantheon. Well, I'm, piv- pivotal. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 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 cold. It's winter time. I'm <laughs> uh, it's my fault. I I need to warm up and uh, get my articulation back. That's right. Uh, all right. Next question here from Krolik on Twitter. Our good friend, Jason Krolik asks, when do you think James Houston gets activated? Now we just kind of talked about this off air because yeah. uh, the, the news ish that it appears J- uh, Isaiah Bugs is, is getting released uh, just hit Twitter in the middle of this. But um, we talked about this because I, I put out there that there's a, a small, but significant chance. I think that James Houston does not get activated. It certainly seems like he's not going to play in this game. Uh, Dan Campbell basically said as much on the radio this morning. Um, but yeah. do you think he's a shoe in to be ready for that first postseason game? I don't think he's a shoe in. Yeah. Um, they're going to need to be clicking on all cylinders in that game. And that's a tough game to bring a guy back as a warm up. Um, I was 
I was hoping that he would be ready for week 18 so he could use that as a tune-up. Yeah. Like I think they'll do Just with the lean and, uh, and, and Garner Johnson. So now I think by him potentially not being ready for week 18, it does make it uh, more in doubt that he, he will be risk. able to return for, for significant, you know, a significant snaps in the postseason. So uh, he's a unique player that brings some unique things to the game. And if he practices well, he'll get his opportunity yep. at the same time. Gardner Johnson looked like he was going to come back after the first week he was in the evaluation window. And now we're in week three of the evaluation window before it looks like he's ready to come back. James Houston just started his evaluation window. And as much as fans want him back, and I completely understand that, he 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 may not be ready, and if he is, they not be they may not be willing to risk uh, him, you know, needing to be tuned up for a playoff game. Yeah, and I mean they have a more seasoned veteran. Like th- this is the playoffs where you want like veterans yeah. out there that that can handle the situation that have been working and practice. Bruce Irvin could be that guy, be the James Houston. Certainly not as Correct. effective and explosive as as James Houston, but a reliable player out there in a critical critical part of your season. So. I mean, if James Houston comes out there and starts making some rookie mistakes, you're going to look pretty bad about that decision. And I'm not saying he will. And I'm not trying to hate on James Houston. I know everyone thinks I hate James Houston, but I'm just saying (laughs) there's a pretty significant risk to putting him out there cold. And yeah, but but you nailed it, I think, with like if the guy is practicing well, if the guy seems like he's dialed in, if he's making the right plays, then he's going to play. He's better than Bruce Irvin. He's just more susceptible to, to mistakes. And and, I agree with you. and every tiny mistake you make in the playoffs is going to be magnified because you're playing against good teams and you can't afford any sort of shooting in the foot. Yeah, that's why they went and got Bruce, right? And that's why they've used him yeah. three times this season because he's a reliable veteran that they can count on for a specific role. Um, and yes, he's out of elevations, but those elevations reset in the playoffs. So we're going to get a chance to uh, potentially see him or James Houston, I think, in a, in a very specific pass rushing type role. All right, let's move on. Next question here from Aaron17 on Twitter says, people are mostly concerned and rightfully so about losing Ben Johnson, but is Chris Spielman a potential GM candidate for another team? His hand in the team's turnaround seems underappreciated and could be a big loss if that's something he wants to pursue. There's absolutely no way he wants to pursue it. If you've ever talked to or listened to any interview he's ever done on the thing, yep. on this on this situation, he absolutely does not want a GM job. Uh, he could have had it. He could have had a GM job here. And he said, don't hire me because that I'm not good enough at it. And I don't have the experience. And I'm much better suited in this role where I can help you. And He's probably getting an insane amount of money to do the role that he does. And he does everything behind the scenes in so many different areas. And with a big old smile on his face. I don't think I don't think there's a person in the world that is more satisfied with his job right now than Chris Spielman. (laughs) And he has total freedom to do whatever he wants. And it's it's not like it's he he does not have a defined role. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like Chris is, this is your job. Chris goes in and, and people are like, Hey, can you help Chris? Can you help me with this? And he's like, sure. Yep. And then he takes it on and he does this crazy thing and you know, he'll do TV commitments and he'll do, um, he, he breaks Ticket down. Sales. <laughs> he, he, yes. He just takes, he breaks down film yeah. for lions yep. employees. Like be just because he's like, yeah, Hey, yeah, I football like, one-on-one thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, Hey, I feel like the, the, uh, all aspects of the organization need to be under, have a better understanding of football so that I'll just hold a weekly film session and, and break down football and show everybody, you know, who wants to learn, you know, what they need. To, he just does that. Cause he, yeah. cause he wants to, it, when it's a, tr- when we're at training camp and he's watching the, the, the film breakdown or he's watching, he's watching the game, you know, breakdown and watching the plays unfold in front of him. And then when there's a little bit of downtime, he's not just like, you know, schmoozing with his buddies. He goes and he gets a, a little scoop bucket and he fills in the divots out on the like yeah he's just he does whatever he wants yeah and he gets paid handsomely for it he's he's happy he is a content man right now i can't see him ever wanting to change that no you're you're absolutely right and i'm, I'm glad you nailed it before uh before i get an opportunity because i have <laughs> i have like literal receipts of 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 chris spielman essentially saying everything you just said he, he had yeah. a great one-on-one interview with justin rogers of the detroit news let me read you some quotes says quote from there it was like 
let me start defining that role a little bit. So I've been getting freedom to define the role of my job. In order to do that, the one thing I had to get, because it's a paranoid business out there, I had to make sure I had everybody's trust that I have zero agenda other than winning. Zero. I tell everyone, quote, I've already done my thing, man. I have zero agenda. I don't want another role. I'm not looking for another role. My goal is to help everybody succeed at their highest level. When that happens, I feel like I win. I do. When Dave Sears got the assistant GM job in Arizona, we're going to miss him, but I was able to celebrate that. Or when AG gets a head coaching job or Ben gets a head coaching job, I'm going to feel like I played a small part in helping them achieve the goals that they want to achieve. And then this is my favorite part. He says, and when Sheila, Dan, and Brad hold up a Super Bowl trophy, this is my number one goal. And I'm sitting in the back thinking, quote, I'm good. I'm done. See you. I'll be in Sanibel hanging out with a drink. So he is he is here and in this role until the Lions lift the Lombardi and he's gone. That's all he wants out of the NFL anymore. <laughs> and he's gone. And I love it. And I love Chris Bielman for it. And um, thankfully, we, we have that until we don't. First hire by Sheila. Yeah, for, it was her first thing. Yep. Bring Chris Bielman back. And she said, what do you want to do? And then they went, he went, I don't know. And she went, cool. Here's a, here's an insane amount of money to just do whatever you want. Help me win. Yeah. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. brilliant. It was, it was her first move and maybe her, her most brilliant. So yeah. Smartest. Um, all right. Next question here is kind of staying on the same ish topic here. Detroit oil money on Twitter. B Penny asks, obviously Ben Johnson is a hot off season candidate from the lions, but besides the coaching staff, you think any front office people could get hired for a GM job elsewhere? Well, Ray Agnew would be the most, um, logical candidate, right? Like he's on sure. a short list of, of potential GMs. Um, when you look at what Brad Holmes has done through the draft and, uh, building a roster, basically from the, taking it down to the studs and building it back up, Ray was the right hand for that. And there's going to be organizations that look at Detroit and, and try and model right. uh, what their, their rebuild off of how Detroit has rebuilt their, this organization. And, so Ray's going to be at the top of some of those lists. He's going to get interviews. I think he's already gotten a, a, a one or maybe two in the past, uh, and he should get more. And so, yeah, Ray would be a guy that I think would be the most likely candidate to get hired off the front office. Uh, at the same time, he's a guy who has been around homes for a while now. I yeah. mean, like decades, like they have been tight for a while. So I do think it would have to be the right opportunity, but yeah, Agnew seems like he's the most likely candidate. Um, even though I do think there are a couple others. Yeah. I, th I think it's a little early for Ray Agnew. I know he's been participating in that. Um, I forgot what they call the event there. Um, yeah. Where they promote the, the, the networking GMs, essentially. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. The networking event. Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that he came up on the pro personnel side, I think might delay his move to GM because I mean, Obviously, that's part of the job, but I think if, you, if you're if you hiring a new GM, you want a guy who knows the draft back and forth, and that's not quite Ray Agnew yet. Obviously, he's getting more involved in that sort of stuff in the past couple of years. Yeah. Well, um, he, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's involved. He's just not a primary right. head. And right. so I might put the possibility of Lance Newmark ahead of him. I'm curious I think what you Lance, think about that. Yeah. No, I ahead. think Lance could be on the. Lance has been around for a long time, but I yes. think I I think Lance, like Sears, could end up going somewhere for for a bigger promotion. I don't think Lance would necessarily be a guy who would jump to the uh, to a GM spot. But again, we're limited in how much we know about these guys. Yeah, um, we only get minor interactions with them. Um, so it, it's hard to say, but right. man, Lance, Lance has been around through multiple regimes. He yeah, has identified, he's identified multiple candidates that have played out. Um, you know, I always have fun when they show the draft, um, like the behind the scenes stuff. Right, I always see, watch Lance, always watch yeah. Lance to see who, Lance, who's most yes. thrilled about the pick. Right. Because you yes. know, that's their guy. Because like when Kirby got drafted, Lance yeah. was like in the corner, like trying not to show his excitement, but <laughs> Lance knew it was, that was the guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lance was the guy who uh, he identified Tracy uh, yeah. Walker for the, for the previous regime as well. And they were all super stoked about getting Tracy. Um, so yes, Lance has a terrific eye for talent. And I think he could be a guy 
Um, I think you have to look at like the fact that like Hudspeth was promoted into Dave Sears role. And so that makes him another candidate that someone's going to look at. Sure. When you look at the financial side of things, uh, Disner is going to be a guy that I think people are going to look at as well. Yep. And, um, you know, I think Disner's a guy who's again, local. So, um, and he's a guy they absolutely love. They've handed Disner so much more of uh, the stuff that Rod Wood used to do. And I think that they're, they're benefiting from having Disner's football mind, um, behind that as well. So yeah, there's, they got lots of candidates, um, to, uh, to keep going. So there's, uh, there's so many good front office guys that I think could go, but in running like through all these different names, what we also know is you can see the layers of of this of this organization and this right. regime that like they have if they do lose talent, they have guys to to make Step it up. up. So yep. And and remember, if you lose someone that that becomes a GM, a minority candidate, you get some draft pick draft capital out of it as well. Um, and and I, I guess I guess. Dorsey is is also in that conversation a little bit. I feel sure. like his, his time as a general manager is probably over. Now he's just kind of like that senior assistant guy, the same way some coaches become senior defensive coordinator, senior defensive assistants and and things like that. But um yeah, yeah. the one guy I, I don't really want to mention, so I'll I'll just whisper it here is uh Brandon Sosna. I think Sosna is a guy <laughs> who is again way way underrated and i think they're trying to keep him under the wraps he is uh one of the guys that runs their um their contracts he he does a lot of different things but running those contracts um and and uh finding ways to fit the the cap huge huge for him and so like him and disner running that show together awfully impressive duo we'll we'll have we'll have chris bleep out the name there Thank you. Thank you. All right. Last question here before we get out of here. Uh, One that is certainly a topical one Uh, at generic user 216 on Twitter asks, what are your thoughts on playing the starters against Minnesota, especially guys like Laporta and JMO who are banged up now? Dan Campbell has made it clear a couple times now that they are going to play their starters. Um, He said on the radio today, part of the reason for that is that the two seed is still open. And by the time they're taking the field, neither Dallas nor the Eagles will have played. They've both got the late afternoon spot, which means if the Lions win. By the end of the football game, they're still going to be in in play for the two seed. So they're going to do that. But I think it is inappropriate question one to ask whether we agree Two, what do you do with maybe some of these guys that are battling an injury right now? So where, where do you stand on that? I, I think there is a history that shows that if you rest your guys, they sometimes have uh, a little bit of rust. They have to knock off um, a week later because they get they fall out of that rhythm. Yeah. Um, and so I completely understand the concept and I actually prefer the concept of playing your starters. Um, okay. At least. No, you don't have to play them the whole game. You don't have to play them the whole game. Like, but you, but I think you have to get them in. You want them to keep their rhythm. Like you want them to go through their normal routine. You want them to get ready for the game, dress for the game, go through all that play, you know, uh, get, go out there, start, have a game plan, go through the pre-planned plays that have been organized by Ben Johnson, right? Like you want that script played out. You want everything that you can. And if you need to pull them, great. If you've got a guy who's got a, um, a, a lingering issue and you don't want to play him, totally get that. Like, I don't, I'm actually not expecting JMO to play this. Week. I agree. You know what I mean? Yep. I think JMO is a guy you could sit. Um, I think Frank probably plays, even though you maybe don't need him to. Um, but I also think you might pull Frank when you pull Jared Goff type right. of thing. You know what that, I mean? And that's key to me. Like I, some people are suggesting, yeah, pull Frank, maybe pull Decker veteran guys that, that could use the rest. If you're doing that, do not put Jared Goff out there without his his left tackle in the center. Do not do that. That is a no. very, very bad idea, especially against an aggressive Vikings, you know, pass rush. Do not do that. Yeah. No, no. You want you have to have the golf ragnow combination tethered together, yes. in my opinion. And so um I think Decker plays the whole game. I'm not worried as much about him. I think he'll be fine. But um a guy like JMO could rest, a guy like Frank and like I said, Goff could could come out late in the game. Um, I don't know if there's anybody else that's like jumping out to me. I'm sure like somebody's got something lingering that should probably be uh, 
you know, considered, but Laporta is a name that's come up, but Dan basically yeah, but he said, said he was fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I, I say you play him, and if it's yeah. uh, and don't go in there with the game plan of saying I want to pull them out at this. Like, just play your game. Sure. Play your normal game. Go out there, beat them up, win, move but on if, to the playoffs with some positive energy. But if you could, if you could just go up thirty-five in the third quarter, yeah, so certainly, that, certainly, so that you yeah, can pull play, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, play That'd your seniors. Great. That'd be get, great. Play, get Teddy Bridgewater out there so that he can play against the Vikings, and it'll be a fun little ending. I absolutely think Teddy Bridgewater needs to play in this game to to like the last series at a yeah. minimum because he's going to retire after yeah. this uh, after this game. Well, no, not technically because he still has the postseason, but he's going to retire after this season, and for him to get in and play against the team who drafted him is just storybook. Yeah, right. Like, right. like and it's football is romantic and, uh, and Dan Campbell at, loves that stuff at the very least. Let him take the knees at the end of the game at the very yeah. least. And, yes. and, and another common question that gets parlayed with this one is, is Hendon hooker going to get some time? And I'm like, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I'm pretty sure. No, there's, no. there's, he's not ready. First of all, second of all, I think, I think the Lions want to win this game. I think Dan Campbell is going to do everything he, he can to win this game. And so, yes. but, and, and yeah, and I, I think Teddy's the next guy off the bench because of everything we just said, because he won't screw up the game necessarily. Yeah. And all respect to Hendon Hooker, but he's only been practicing for a month. So, and, and Hendon is probably going to be inactive because you have a healthy roster right now yeah. and you're going to want to have all your guys and to yeah. keep him active for you know a series or whatever it just doesn't make sense because you need you're already limited in how many players you can keep on on game day i don't think they have the space for it i think we're gonna have to wait to see hendon's uh debut yep all right we'll leave it there uh if you ever want more of this kind of content come watch us live on twitch and youtube because we do a bunch of question answering in between segments after the show, all sorts of stuff, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit or youtube.com at Pride of Detroit. But until then, thank you all for listening. We will maybe be doing a first. I don't know if we're going to do a first bite. We might do something in, in replacement of first bite this week since we love we love a reef. Don't get us wrong, but it's not all that exciting of a game to preview if we're going to be completely honest. So if you don't hear for us until then, we'll see you next time. It's chaos. You guys.